Did you notice who the author was of the hymn we just sang? It was the great poet John Milton. The words have been somewhat altered, but it was interesting to sing his music this morning. I enjoy singing hymns like that, where we sing part of it and the choir sings part of it. The antiphonal response, I think, is a a very interesting thing to do. And it's uh, something that we believe was practiced quite frequently in the Jewish worship. And so uh, it's something that I think kind of puts us in touch with some of our biblical roots. The choir sang for us, as we opened the service this morning, our text, which is Psalm 100. As we think about the thankful one. We live in one of the few countries in the world where a day is set aside officially as a time of thanksgiving. It's a proper tradition, although I think we have to sadly admit that for many today it has become only Turkey Day or a day for an overdose of football. Some states, such as uh, the state of New York, set aside the day annually for Thanksgiving as early as the first part of the 19th century. The tradition of Thanksgiving goes all the way back to the days of the colonies and the pilgrims who were God-fearing men and women in a new world. It was, however, Abraham Lincoln who, as president, first proclaimed a national day for Thanksgiving in 1863. He did so in the midst of the fury of the Civil War. And every president since Lincoln has followed that example and proclaimed a day of thanksgiving. And most often it has been the fourth Thursday of the month of November. Of course, as God's people, it is fitting that we should observe that day in our culture, not merely as a cultural symbol, however, but as a spiritual privilege. For the attitude of gratitude should be one that characterizes us continually, shouldn't it, in our earthly pilgrimage. This psalm, 100, this psalm is the most beloved of all of the thanksgiving psalms. It instructs us to be a grateful people. And I believe we need to learn its lessons. I see at least two lessons about thanksgiving in the psalm. In the first place, how to be thankful, and secondly, why. Follow along with me, please, as we think about this theme. In verses 1 through 3, we are taught how to be grateful. We are given to understand the permeating nature of a grateful heart. A grateful heart is like a perfume that fills every room. It affects every area of one's life. You will notice that there are four words of admonition in those first three verses. Shout, serve, come, and know. I believe that God is telling us in these verses that if we're going to be grateful, we need to remember that gratitude involves in the first place the tongue. Make a joyful noise, or shout, he says, to the Lord. The word shout is a jubilant cry. 
It is the sound as a cheer of loyal citizens as the king might appear. Or to put it into our own society and culture, it is the sound that one might hear in the Metrodome when the Vikings come on the field. I have only been to one Vikings game, but I want to tell you that is some kind of a roar. When those Vikings come onto the field, that whole place begins to shake with the sound of it. The shout of the people cheering on the team. Well, it is that same kind of an idea, the same kind of a joyful noise that God has in mind when he tells us that we are to shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. I did not get to go to the concert of prayer a week ago. I'm sorry about that. Some 80 of you did, and I'm glad. It was a group of some 10,000, I've heard, who were there to pray that evening. Uh, I know that the year before, one of the things that we did that I have never done before was to shout to the Lord. Did they do that this year? They did. I think that is a neat experience. We have a room here big enough to do it, but I'm not brave enough to do it this morning. <laughs> but to shout to the Lord. The, the idea is a very expansive sound. I think you would agree with me, the gratitude that is unexpressed is gratitude that's under suspicion. For if it's genuine, it must be communicated. We are told as the people of God, even in the New Testament, that this is an appropriate thing for us to do. I just invite you to think with me about Hebrews chapter 13. If you want to turn there, you may. We'll look at it just briefly. But in the 15th verse of this 13th chapter, notice what he says. Through him, through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Notice it's not just the fruit of the heart or the fruit of the attitude. But it says the fruit of the lips. Gratitude involves the tongue. And as New Testament believers, we are to be involved in offering up words from our mouths to God as a sacrifice to Him. <clears throat> there is no more noble use of the tongue than to employ it in thanksgiving to God. Our tongues tell a lot about us, don't they? When I was fighting this virus that I've been fighting now for about three weeks... I went to the doctor, and uh, as he went through a brief exam of my condition, one of the things he told me to do was to stick out my tongue. It's not that my tongue is exceptionally beautiful and he wanted to admire it, but he did want to examine it because he knew that by looking at my tongue, he could tell something about what's going on behind it, down in my throat, you see. Our tongues tell something about our physical condition. And is it not true that our tongues also say something about our soul condition? When our hearts are filled with gratitude to God, our tongues cannot help but speak it. So gratitude involves the tongue. But gratitude also involves the hands. Notice he says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. It is good to speak our praise to the Lord. It is good in our public worship to speak our thanksgiving to him. But that speech has to be followed by something of our actions. And again, the writer of Hebrews makes this clear. 
Listen to the words in the very next verse after the one we read. And do not neglect doing good and sharing with such sacrifice as God is pleased. And so he says that as much as we are to offer our thanks to God with our lips, our hands must be involved. We're to be involved in doing deeds of love and kindness. Actions from our lives should speak gratitude to the Lord. Thankfulness motivates us, does it not, to do something in response to the one that we're grateful? It energizes us. It awakens our sensibilities to do something. Someone does something kind for you. Perhaps you have... uh, had need of a meal being brought to your house for some reason. And some folks in your flock or in your small church have brought over that food. And, oh my, you're so thankful for that. It came at just the right time. And so you say thank you at the door. But then as you eat the food and as perhaps you wash up the dishes and you think, what a very special thing this was. And so you are motivated perhaps to sit down and even write a note. You do something. That's the point. We are to not only speak our praise to God, we are out of gratitude to serve Him, to do things for Him. Not in order to receive His gifts, but because we have received His gifts. And we are to serve Him, it says here, with gladness. Not with reluctance. We're not to serve Him half-heartedly. We're not to serve with regret or with a grudge. We're not to serve him with resignation because, well, I have to. But whatever we do, we are to do with gladness to the Lord out of gratitude. It means if I teach a Sunday school class or sing in the choir or if I work in the nursery or if I'm an usher, I am to do that with gladness to the Lord. Not because Paul Bartlett has put his hand on my shoulder and said, look, we need help in the nursery. And he may do that. And he's right. But why do I do that? Well, for him in one sense maybe, but beyond that, far beyond that for the Lord. Out of gladness to the Lord. That's why we serve him. And why is it that I type those letters on Monday morning? And why is it that I go out and make my sales calls? Or I sit in my office and I make the decisions that I have to. Or as an accountant, I write down those figures. or work before my computer. Why is it that I do all of those things? Day by day, eight hours a day, or ten hours, or twelve hours a day, out of gratitude, gratitude to the Lord. You see, whatever we do, we're to do it for that reason. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Well, somebody says, yeah, I'm supposed to give thanks, but you don't know this person I've got to work with. I mean, if you had to work with that person, you'd find it pretty hard to give thanks to. Well, it may be that you have a difficult working situation, but can't you sift through that somewhere and find something to be grateful to God for? Can't you be grateful that that person takes an hour break at lunch and leaves you alone? (laughs) Can't you be grateful that you work overtime and at least there's an hour of quietness after that person's gone? Look, sift through your circumstances. Whatever they be, find something there to give thanks to God. Give thanks to God you have a job. 
We have people in our church who've been praying for months for jobs and have yet to find one. We are to serve the Lord with thanksgiving. Gratitude involves our hands, but gratitude also involves our feet. Notice he says, come. Come before him with joyful singing. I believe that this applies to corporate worship. Certainly it did to the writer of this psalm as he thought about the Jewish people coming to the temple. How can we claim to be grateful to God for his blessings in our lives and yet fail to come before his presence the way that we're invited to here? With joyful singing. Gathering with other believers is important for all of us. I know it's true that we can worship at home, and we ought to worship at home. And I've had people tell me, well, I may not go to church, but I worship God out in the the woods, out of my backyard watching the birds on Sunday morning or whatever. Sure, you can worship God doing that, but it does not take the place of corporate worship. Yes, I know, salvation is individual. That's true. But that salvation that is individual results in a relationship to other people. There is a place for coming together with others. Come before his presence. Come before him with joyful singing, it says here. Francis Schaeffer said, Salvation is individual, but not individualistic. People cannot become Christians except one at a time, and yet our salvation is not solitary. God's people are called together in community. God tells us if we are a grateful people, it involves our feet. We need to come together, and come together faithfully to worship Him in the congregation. And we are to do that with joyful singing. I wonder what that suggests about our worship, about our attitude in coming, about our involvement in the service itself. Come before him with joyful singing. It's interesting to look out at the congregation when we're singing. It's probably doubly interesting to look up here. But it's interesting to look out and to see those faces that are just shining. The eyes are lit up and the mouth tends to be curved here at the the edges. And you can tell that from the heart that person is entering into those words. that, That that really means something to them. I tell you, that blesses me. We are to come before the Lord as a body of people, joyfully, and enter into the service and sing and participate in it. That's what worship is all about. As the hymn writer said, let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. But children of the heavenly king may speak their joys abroad. God wants us to enter into the celebration of corporate worship. I want to encourage you to be regular in corporate worship. And not to allow little things, little excuses to keep you away. If you're grateful to God, that must involve your feet. It means coming to worship together. I remember a lady who was so faithful in this. She's now with the Lord. 
She was a widow. And uh, even before that, her husband didn't come with her to church. When I first became pastor of that church, she had been in present in Sunday school and in church every Sunday for 25 years. You say, well, she must have lived around the corner. No. No. As a matter of fact, during the last part of her life, she moved to a place about 30 miles away. And during that time, she was alone. And during the 10 years that I was there as pastor, she never missed a single Sunday in Sunday school and in church. I mean, there wasn't an excuse to keep her away. If she was sick, she would come. She would infect other people, but she would be there. (laughs) She would be there. 35 years. We honored her when that occasion came for 35 years of perfect attendance. Now you think about that. That's longer than some of you are old. She did not miss. She was faithful. She knew the importance of coming together. Well, as she got older, it became impossible for her to keep up that record. But oh, I thank God for her. What an example she set for all of us of faithfulness in coming to worship. God says if we are grateful, it's going to involve our tongues, it's going to involve our hands, and it's going to involve our feet, but he tells us also it involves our mind. He says, know the Lord. You see, gratitude is not a mere fleeting emotion. Gratitude is based upon intelligence. It is a deep inner acceptance of truth. That is acknowledged to be true. And therefore we're grateful. We are to know the one that we worship and why we worship him. He tells us in the first place that we are to know the Lord is God. That is that there is no other God. That he is unique. He is uniquely and infinitely perfect. And yet a personal being. Who is self-existent and self-sufficient. He himself is the source of all that is. He says that when we give thanks to God, we are to know that God is not one God among many. That his truth is not one truth, but it's the truth. Today we are told by those new agers around us that we're all God's. And that uh, we all have the Christ principle within us. And we can develop our deity, our divinity, and be gods. Well, that's the same mess that Satan sold to Eve back in the Garden of Eden. We are not gods. We are creatures. We are made. We are finite. We have limitations, but God doesn't. He is not created. There is no limitation to him. He is infinite. He is God. We're to know that. But we're also to know that he is the creator. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us. That is, it is he who gives us life and breath. Our lives are derived. God's life is not. 
by way of application, I think we can say this too, that all of the success and all of the prosperity and the produce of our lives also comes from God. It is He who has made us. There are some people who brag that they are self-made. And usually when they brag that, they, they adore their Creator. You think about that. We are not self-made. But it is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are to know also that the Lord is the owner. It says, we are His people. His people by right of creation, but also His people by right of redemption, those of us who are Christians. We are His chosen people, His people, singled out from all the peoples of the earth to be especially His, uniquely His. The thought in this implies that there's a difference between His people, whom we are, and all of the rest. That's true. Can you be grateful that God is your possessor today? Know that, but also know that the Lord is shepherd because we are the sheep of his pasture, the psalmist says. God provides our pasture, that is, our provision for our needs. The picture in the psalmist's mind may well be of the Jews as they would come streaming into the temple compound and into the temple itself. Like a flock of sheep, they came. Hearing the voice of their shepherd, telling them to come and to worship him. We are the sheep of his pasture. And now he sees them in his mind's eye coming into the fold of God to worship him. We are his sheep also, and the Lord is our shepherd. As we worship, our worship must involve our minds. There has to be some intelligence there. We are to know that the Lord is God. We are to know that he is the creator, that he is the owner and that he is our shepherd. And as we know those things, as those truths sink down deep into our hearts, then we will have our, our gratitude stimulated. How are we to give gratitude? How are we to be grateful? Number one, by joyful words. Shout joyfully. By glad service. Serve the Lord, he says, with gladness. Also by joyfully gathering to worship, come before him. And finally, by full understanding of his uniqueness and of that special relationship that God has between himself and his own. We are to know he is God and that we are his people. And so the psalmist instructs us how to be grateful, but we're also instructed why to be grateful, verses 4 and 5. He basically gives us two reasons here. In the first place, because of the privilege of access, and then secondly, because of the person of God. Why are we to be grateful? Because of the privilege of entering in. I especially like the arrangement the choir did this morning of Psalm 100, and the way that they did the, the word enter. Did you notice that? And how it built and resounded, echoed back and forth, enter, 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 enter. 
What a privilege you and I have to enter. That is not to be taken for granted. We can enter his gates because he has opened the way for us through the sacrifice of Christ. That one final sacrifice, once and for all. This psalm is a psalm of invitation. It says, enter his gates. Notice it is addressed to all the earth, verse 1. You and I have the privilege of inviting others to join us in entering the gates of the Lord. We must ever be mindful that there are many who do not know the narrow way. They do not perceive the narrow gate that must be entered. They've already entered the broad gate and are on the broad way that leads to destruction. But Jesus tells us there will be a few who will find that narrow gate and enter the narrow way that leads to life. And you and I have the privilege of inviting people to come to that gate. Enter, he says, his gates with thanksgiving. People have the idea generally in the world that they can worship God in their own way. They look upon our faith as one of many gates. Oh, there are many ways, many roads to God, they say. And how pleasant that sounds to the human ear. But how false it is. It is not consistent with what God tells us is the truth. There's one way. His gates. Not many gates. God's gates. You and I can invite others to enter. What a privilege of access we have. To enter that gate and to invite others to come. We need to be grateful for that. That access to God. But also because of the person of God. He says... Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. That's what God is like. You look at the gods that the heathen worship. You go visit the Linetes and Taliabu. Or you visit others who work with tribal people. And you find inevitably their gods are angry gods who have to be appeased by some kind of sacrifice, be it human or whatever. They are gods who are not good. They are evil gods that have to be avoided or placated in some way. But the true God is not that way. How grateful we ought to be for that truth. That the Lord is good. And notice there are two words that describe his goodness. They are loving kindness and faithfulness. Loving kindness means God's loyal love. Our God is a God who loves Not arbitrarily, not discriminately, but he is a God who loves broadly. He loves all, and he is a God who loves loyally. Talks about God's love here that is involved in the relationship between two people. God's loving kindness. Be thankful that God is good and loving and that he's faithful. We sometimes sing the chorus, Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. Or we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand is provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. 
God doesn't fail. That's the kind of a God he is. Why should you and I be thankful? Because of the privilege God has given us to enter his gates. He has thrown the door open by the sacrifice of Jesus. We may enter by that new and living way that Christ has opened for us by his sacrifice. Be thankful. And why should we be thankful? Because of the, the kind of a God that we're talking about. A God who is good. And in his goodness, he loves people. Desires to be related to them. He is a God who is faithful and will not fail, though, though we may fail. He does not. And his goodness, his faithfulness are both everlasting. From generation to generation is true. It was true of our fathers and our grandfathers' generation. And it will be true of our children and their children if the Lord tarries. He is a God who is forever good. Unalterably, forever, he is that way. Well, Psalm 100 is an instructive psalm. But the fact is, really, the fact is that most of us don't need more instruction about being thankful. We don't need more orders to be thankful. What we need is obedience to be thankful. We don't need more information, really. What we need is inspiration to do what we know we ought to do, to do what we know is right. This morning, you and I have a choice. We have a choice to either be grateful or to be grumblers. We have a choice to be thankful to God or to be complainers and to be greedy and selfish. I remind you that the latter is the choice of most people, especially as the age goes on because it tells us in the Bible, in last days men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, unthankful. Elizabeth Elliot wrote about that some time ago in one of her newsletters. She said, we do have someone, capital S, to thank, and a long list of things to, be, to thank him for. But, she goes on to say, I have been thinking of something that stifles thanksgiving. It is the spirit of greed, the greed of doing, being, and having. You know she's right. It's so easy for us to succumb to the pressures of our world, to be greedy about our doing, to say we're going to do what we want to do, what benefits us the most, what is most rewarding, to be greedy about our doing and not care what God wants us to do, or to neglect it at least. And it's easy for us to be greedy about our being. We succumb to the world's pressure to want to be what is best for us as we view it. We want to improve our own lifestyle. And we get discontent with the roles that God has given us. And as a result of that greed of being, we miss out on the peace it comes from being just who God's made us to be. 
and fail to realize that our greatest fulfillment is just being who God has created us to be. That was the mistake of Grandmother Eve. And she's right about the greed of having, too, isn't she? Like all the rest of the people in our generation, we want to possess. We want what will enrich us. We want that which will make the neighbors notice. And the result of that kind of a lifestyle is that we fail to learn the joy of contentment and of the things that God has given us. There's a great story about Matthew Henry. In fact, it's one of my favorite stories. Matthew Henry, as you probably know, was a famous scholar of the Bible. There's a commentary that he authored. On one occasion, he was mugged. They didn't call it that back in those days, but that's what it was. He was robbed and mugged and beaten. After that, he wrote in his diary these words. Let me be thankful. Let me be thankful first because... I was never robbed before. Okay. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. (laughs) And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Found, isn't it? Somebody has said gratitude is like a guardrail. That's a great thought, I think. Because when you and I are grateful, it puts up guardrails on the road of life. Guardrails that will keep us and our children from slipping and sliding off the road and making a wreck of life. If we allow greedy and complaining attitudes to dominate us, it removes the guardrails. If we allow ourselves to become intoxicated with selfishness and to get drunk on ingratitude, the result is that we will go off the road and will injure ourselves and injure others. Oh, we need the guardrails. Above all, it is right to be thankful just because it's right. Yes, it establishes guardrails that help protect us and protect our children, but it's just right to be thankful. And that's what this psalmist says. Oh, may we be a grateful people today. What's your choice? What's your choice? Will you be grateful? Let's bow together. Well, I wonder just where you're seated, if you would say to the Lord, Lord, I will be grateful. I will enter in. Lord, I today repent of ingratitude. Maybe we need to say that. Lord, today I turn away from the greed and the selfishness and those covetous attitudes. Maybe we need to say, Lord, put that guardrail up in my life that will keep me from wrecking. Just talk to the Lord about it where you are, won't you?
Father, I pray that this morning our hearts will respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Spirit in this psalm. And may we not only accept this as good information, but may we be inspired to do what the psalmist tells us to do, because we are so blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.